big week for me. Uh, quite a few interviews in the bag, sort of beginning to catch fire again, and uh, sort of the, the life of a road dog touring musician, uh, very much ebb and flow. Things can really um, get hot, and you're working all the time, and then all of a sudden things dry up. And during those times of uh, sort of um, atrophy or just sort of nothing going on, I just feel like it's important for any creative out there to uh, create their own opportunities and continue to create whenever possible. Uh, if you can find a way to turn that into some kind of dough or uh, money, that's a good thing as well because everybody's trying to sing for their supper. Get a chance today to speak to a decorated musician, a guy who's played with uh, a large bastion of cats from all across the musical spectrum, <clears throat> and uh, it's been a long time coming. Todd Smalley, welcome to the Jake Feinberg Show. Hey, thanks, Jake. Glad to be here. <laughs> Dude, it's good nice. to have you, brother. Um, <clears throat> I mean, how, I just, as we're in the holiday season now, I just wanted you to talk about how how grateful you, if you feel grateful about having about being able to sing for your supper on the bandstand playing music that you dig. It is true. And uh, people come up to me there. Of course, they say you're smiling all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and that that is probably, you know, the recipe for that more than uh, anything else is just being able to do that. And uh, been lucky to do it for so many years 28 almost 30 years at this point yeah almost 16 with Derek I'm approaching 13 with JJ so it is I know how difficult it can be to you know get involved in something that uh, you really feel passionate about musically on top of it all you know I don't feel like I have uh, just a gig, you know. These are definitely uh, good friends, and uh, and it's only uh, grown through the years. So I am very fortunate, and definitely smile about that, you know, <laughs> on stage. You know, definitely appreciative of it. I mean, do you, do you just as a journalist, somebody from <clears throat> sort of the outside looking in, and also a music fan, just a fanatic? Just do you have a any kind of words of wisdom or maybe you can harken back to a time when you weren't working with your friends and having a ball. I mean, what, what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is there's just to me, like this time that we're going through, especially for cats that are road dogging it, they may not have the household names. Uh, they may be playing a lot of one nighters, uh, or maybe like once a month. Uh, to me, it's all about mental toughness and i just wanted to know if you could talk about a time when when you really overcame sort of like you said you were crazy about this music but you didn't really have the, the you weren't playing bingo with your calendar so to speak you know you were all right you know i mean can you can you voice some words of wisdom on cats that might be not not in the light right now well uh, uh you know i i really think that is, uh, hopefully this doesn't sound corny, but <laughs> no, it's fine, I really dude. do Come believe on. Uh, being, you know, persistent about it, you know, and I know a lot of people are, uh, you can put yourself out there and you're not getting the response that you want. Uh, people aren't, you know, 
digging your music and what you're doing as much as you are. Um, and I think that you really have to be headstrong in those departments. You know, you kind of get to a point uh, in musicianship, and I'm sure everyone goes through this, where you're like, hey, this is what I do. This is how I play. Uh, love it or leave it <laughs> so, to be harsh. You yeah, know? I did. But uh, I, I think, you know, keeping, you know, definitely a strong mental attitude, uh, keeping, you know, obviously focused on the goal and, uh, you know, what you really want to accomplish. And, you know, I think simply, you know, you never uh, give up, period, you know. And I feel like, you know, we're still in that phase. I mean, obviously, every band is uh, trying to expand their audience and get to uh, uh, the next level that they want to attain. And uh, and I think we go through that with uh, MoFro, you know, with Derek Band, mm. any of that stuff. Uh, you're constantly uh, uh, maybe scrutinized to some or criticized, I guess I should say you know, to some degree, but it's all part of the game. Definitely don't let it discourage you <laughs> and, and, uh, don't read it if it <laughs> bothers you that much reviews. Well, I mean, that's like the classic, like pro athlete, like don't read the newspaper, right? If you're in Philadelphia yeah. or something, right? Just ignore the noise. Yeah. Did you, did, I remember, did you have a time earlier in your career? Like, did, did you ever go through a period where you were like, I just, this is, like, you were, you, you know, music, regardless, if you're a musician, and I don't care if you're Ted Nugent, Taj Mahal, you know, whoever, you know, it's like, at a certain point, either your folks or uh, the divine sometimes says, hey, you know, no matter what, a musician's taking the insecure path. You're, you're taking that path no matter what. And I just wonder if yes. there was ever a point in Todd Smalley's life, you know, you have kids, you have kids, like, you know, you have responsibilities. Was there ever a point where you were like, you know, like, I'm just not feeling so great on right now. And I just, I think I need to find something more secure and stable or that just never was on the radar. Well, I mean, I, I think that, you know, as anyone would go through in any profession, you know, they may get tired of what they do. That's something that just never happened for me <laughs> you That's know, as far as uh, wanting to get off the road. Uh, the main reason I would have gotten off the road, uh, obviously, is uh, for my family. Uh, luckily, we have it worked out pretty well. And the uh, touring schedule, uh, for me personally, and of course, in the early days, it's tough, you know, a lot of dates on the road. I think uh, maybe in my late 20s and my early 30s, I might have questioned it. Yeah. Like, oh, boy, I'm not going to make uh, 150 grand this year or whatever <laughs> it is. You know? So, yeah, you, you know, you definitely, uh, you know, start to second guess to some degree or maybe not second guess but think about the big picture in your future i personally have been lucky to play with some incredible artists you know between derek's band susan's band jj's band uh i've been lucky to be consistently working but yeah sure you definitely go through it i think that's uh, part of the reason why i say that you have to keep a great mental attitude uh you can't be brought down by uh 
critiques and reviews, uh, uh, you know, uh, and being consistent and persistent uh, is the key. But sure, it crosses your mind, but I have to admit for me, not that much, you know. moving from one band to another is probably about all that I would do at this point. Well, I mean, also, like, the groups that you're in, I mean, I mean, the groups that you've played with, the ones that you mentioned, I mean, they are, these are real gigs. I remember David Grisman, yeah. when, when Grisman, I interviewed him the first time, and he said, you know, when Olden and the Way started with Garcia, he's like, He's like, we actually had gigs because Jerry, it was Jerry, you know, we, we, it was like a, it was like a real gig. And, uh, I just, you hear at the lesser levels, you know, I think it's really special that you, and you're, you know, to me, uh, luck is the residue of design. And like, we've been talking about sort of the stick to itiveness because, you know, I would assume, correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I, I mean, with Derek, Susan, uh, some of these bands that you've been in, I mean, you have a road crew. Um, you, there, there is like an apparatus in place where like not everything falls on the musician. I just, I, there's so many cats who are going out and playing original spiritual music and they have to set up their gear. And right after the show, they have to take it all down. And if they're lucky, one cat can get to the merch table, which is the only way these cats can actually make anything, any kind of dough. So I just feel like it's, it's, you know, and, and so more power to you. I mean, these, uh, and so I, you know, to me, it's just like, as long as I do my show, like I am just, do you, why do you feel, let me just ask you this, because, you know, some of the, the acts that you're in now might be relatable, maybe not. Um, I just remember, well, I wasn't even alive, but in the, in the, in the seventies, a lot of cats, I don't care if they were in Santa Cruz or Boulder, a lot of, uh, club owners, um, uh, when they play, they say, don't play covers, man. We want to hear your original stuff. And you'd have fans coming in like dance, even if their band didn't have a record out, they knew the lyrics, they were having a ball. And the point it was, it was like original stuff. We can still commodify it. We can still get ahead. And now, not so much you, but, you know, I was just up in, in Scottsdale with Tower of Power. You know, and those guys are playing the old hits in a very tight format, sprinkling in some funky Christmas tunes. Same thing can be said for all these bands from the early 70s where people just want to hear the same stuff over and over again. And I wonder about, like, in general... You know, just as as a fan of music, stepping back from it, whether or not you you're not playing the same tune, the same way every night, obviously. But you know, how have we gotten to? How have we gone from? Oh yeah, play originals. I dig your. I want your original stuff too. Um, well, we just want to play stuff that's recognizable, so we'll get people in the door. Yeah, it it is, and uh, it is difficult to find uh that line there i think in jj's case uh you know he did get a bit of radio play not major radio play but when he first had his albums out uh you know streaming oh yeah (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, i I mean that's still good yeah you know napster and stuff like that was getting started uh (laughs) right you know uh I, I really, uh, you know, I've always felt that uh, 
it, it's so hard to spread the the word the gospel to, yeah no, yeah yes <laughs> to you know going from charleston to charlotte to wilmington to you know and how many people you're going to play for uh things like that and right. i've noticed with derek and jj that they definitely took advantage of uh any radio play that they can get if it was triple a any kind of streaming stuff obviously trying to get your songs licensed and tv and film and stuff like that uh you know how do I put this? Uh, well, let me ask you. To, let me uh, let me just let me veer off for a minute because, like, you talked about wanting to expand your audiences and like the diversity of you know finding new pockets of of fans and like I'm like back in the day. I mean, Bill Graham. You know, I, just, I don't want to be nostalgic, but you know, it was like in San Francisco, he'd put the Preservation Hall Jazz Band. Sly and the Family Stone and Jefferson Airplane on the same bill. And a lot of the hippies wouldn't necessarily know Preservation Hall Jazz Band or Malo or, you know, but, but Bill was like, these guys, these cats need to dig this music. So because Derek Trucks is frankly a household name at this point in my mind, um, and at least comes with a lot of the, someone like that, like, is there, is there a way for you guys to play festivals where it's not necessarily in the blues rock genre so to speak like and, and would that be a way for you guys to keep growing is that even available is that how you would grow your fan base i mean i i believe so and i think that's uh, why i say earlier that you put your music out there and you put out there uh what you do and you're honest about it and you hope people you know latch on to it and you know it becomes a part of their lives you know in some ways inspiring and their story uh, i think that uh that we just we always put out there what we wanted to play definitely with the Derek band i mean definitely with jj in an original sense as well but with the Derek band we were doing a lot of covers we were doing coltrane songs wow. and things like that wow. but but there there were also songs that we felt the same way maybe like bill graham did we're like everybody needs to hear everybody needs to dig they're gonna figure i mean they need to hear they need to hear that totally totally and so i i think we really stuck to our guns in that band and and even with jj's you know uh band with his story he's the same way he has a uh really cool story great way of uh presenting you know his songs his ideas uh memories in his life things like that uh i i really feel that uh and as we all know that if you kind of cater to uh what you think is going to be popular or what is hip at the time it comes out as dishonest (laughs) that is such a pretty quickly you know right if they love love music so yeah i don't i don't think we ever really thought about that ourselves you know we've definitely been in recording situations with producers and major labels and things like that and you send them the first demos and they're like oh we need something more radio friendly and we're (laughs) kind of looking at each other we're like is donny hathaway radio friendly exactly exactly 
exactly around that so uh yeah we just kind of stuck to our guns and i feel that you just really have to do that i mean otherwise if you do just want to make a living playing music which i do that as well you know we do uh you know a ton of gigs you know private jazz parties stuff like that cool little uh you know, oh, this dude! I need to get. I, where, I need to get into some of these parties, man. I mean, this is great. <laughs> <laughs> Denver's been pretty fun there. Right, right. No, I that's that is talking to Todd Smalley here on the Jake Feinberg show. I, you know, I want. I'm just. I just want. For some reason, his spirit is <clears throat> is with us right now, um, and I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure why. I know why, but I wanted to ask you. Uh, I did a great interview with him, and uh, he left us too soon, but I, I kind of wanted you to talk about uh, your working and personal relationship with, with Kofi Burbridge. Definitely. I, I would love to. Uh, Kofi, he's... My uh, hero, I mean, one of the sweetest. I, also, I just want to say, like, exactly. God, the, the, the floor, the floor is house. yours. The floor is yours. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah. but uh, you're right. I mean, he, I was going to say exactly that. He was just so, you know, open and caring with young musicians, you know, old musicians, new musicians, just uh, very uh, uh, ready to spread the knowledge, you know, and yeah. share, you know, his knowledge with you. Uh, I was lucky to know Kofi before he joined the band. We played together for a couple of years in Atlanta me and him and Jan Rico and Kevin Williams from Eric's band and Tedeschi Trucks and uh, wait, wait, what, what was the name oh, of this band? Uh, what's that? What was the name of this of that band? Oh, you know, we just did a thing, Jan uh, Rico Scott band. We would oh my crazy God. asses would get home from a long Derek tour and then we'd turn around and leave and <laughs> go play with our band. Oh, and, love you know, and we would do festivals on the East Coast and stuff like that as much as we could kind of handle. But uh, yeah, and Kofi was, you know, you know, such a huge influence. Him and Jan Rico were the best of friends, you know. And with Rico and I working together so well, that's how I got to know Kofi a little better at home. And, of course, I had met him with uh, Quarry Muskie Unit and back in those days. But to really hang out, get together at each other's houses, you know, you know, play videos, you know, listen to music, jam some, things like that. Uh, yeah, we just got together and played all the time. We played all the time on the road. He was nonstop. We'd go up into his room and he converted into, you know, a mini studio, of course. You know, there'd be keyboards everywhere. I and love this. the point where we're pushing a rack up to the room. And yeah, we'd get together, put together a few tunes and, you know, come up with ideas like that. When we did the Joyful Noise album, uh, Rico and Kofi and I would go out as a trio and just start working on uh, little groove ideas and things like that that we wanted to bring back to Derek, see what he thought of them. So we got to do a lot of playing uh, on the road and off the road, which was uh, truly amazing. So I, you I would you say them. that some of the some of the germs of those grooves wound up in in original tunes? Did did he, did he take to some of those? Oh, yeah, wow. absolutely. Wow. All of, uh, well, not all of, but uh, a lot of uh, 
joyful noise uh song lines yeah right. absolutely wow. uh, a lot of those uh, originals the three of us would get together and jam like joyful noise was just a groove that kofi had started out with and we were just playing like a instrumental organ trio type of thing and uh yeah so we were we were non-stop with them. We were like, you know, we get off the road. We knew that we had to come up with, you know, more material. And we wanted to come up with more material. Kofi would write like mad. He, he was phenomenal. Jeez, and on, on the fly. <laughs> he just put uh, a germ of an idea in his head. And he would just take it left, right, straight up, you know whichever all the ways you know and he was uh incredibly naturally creative like that it was pretty amazing <laughs> when you no this is so i mean the cat i uh were, were you down there's a couple two-part question um were you down at that uh musical institute in atlanta when he was with um or when when Colonel Bruce Hampton was cooking the groove down there, and then the the, the other the other the major question is, I want Todd Smalley because I I again I'm not a musician. It's easy for me to, to pontificate about this, but I want I just I have a very hard time with the sort of assembly line of what is going on in in with music today, where kids go to these schools. I just don't think you can learn the language of jazz and blues in school. And, and, and I, you know, so many guys you played with, uh, Schofield in particular, a lot of these guys, uh, they didn't even graduate Berkeley because there were so many gigs on the road. And so right. I, I, I'm wondering if you talk a little bit about that early Atlanta scene and then ultimately what is something that, that you took from the Academy that you still hold near and dear today as a as a professional musician well it, it's definitely uh you know two major things for me uh the staff there the teachers that i had at atlanta institute of music were phenomenal hmm. i had a great uh bass educator russ rogers wow and uh Who is he that was guy, the main main guy there yeah he's up in baltimore now <laughs> excuse me was he playing? Yeah, ba- was he playing bass fiddle? Was he playing like a bass fiddle? Was he upright bass? Uh, yeah, he played it all. Oh yeah, my definitely God. a lot of uh, electric and multi-string. He definitely turned me on to a, a great amount of music there and musicality. But when I got to Atlanta Institute of Music, uh, Jimmy Herring was one of the uh, educators there, and I had no idea. I was 20 years old. It's like <laughs> 1990, and Jimmy was teaching there. And, uh, and of course, the first time you hear him, even as green as I was, uh, back then, it was just like, oh my God. <laughs> and I didn't know. I, I'm finally seeing this level of musician right. in front of my eyes, you know, all the guys that I've listened to. And of course, I'd seen quite a few through the years, but to have a guy teach at your school was, you know, 
incredibly inspiring. So Jimmy was one of the guitar teachers there. Of course, I was in the bass program, but uh, I would go to his guitar classes, things like that. We hit it off a little bit, and he said, you got to come out and see this band I just joined, Colonel Bruce Hampton and the Aquarium Wrestling. No way. Like, oh, my God. Is that? So, yeah, so I go to Athens, Georgia. We drive to Athens, go see Bruce, and, of course, lost our minds. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, uh, Jeff Seip, Bartman had lived in Atlanta, was living in Atlanta, and so was O'Teal, maybe even Jimmy was at that point. So I really became good friends with Jeff, and Jeff and Jimmy and Bruce and O'Teal really took us under their wing. When Derek was looking for a bass player, they had recommended me to come out. That is so I beautiful, like, man. I got chill chills right now, man. That's so uh, freaking I'm beautiful. So fortunate. Like, what the hell are you smiling about? You know? <laughs> so, yeah, I've been so lucky to know those guys. They have been uh, wow. true mentors to me over the years, 30 years now. <laughs> Even I'm shocked. I saw Jimmy a couple months ago. He's like, we've known each other 31 years. We both started laughing. It was hilarious. So, yeah, that was a huge, huge influence on me. The educators there were amazing. Uh, Jimmy turning me on to a band that he played in. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, Atlanta Institute, the scene in Atlanta in the 90s was amazing. We'd go see Modesky Martin and Wood play. We were just talking about uh, Oliver Wood last night. Absolutely. We'd go see uh, King Johnson all the uh, time. Are and, you uh, kidding me? He was and, still... Uh, wow. King Johnson had a great uh, blues, you know, rock, funk band, but, you know, definitely blues style band and they were always killed so when the wood brothers blew up i wasn't surprised i was like yeah oliver's badass i knew it for years <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so they were you know him and w were playing oliver was sitting around uh aquarium rescue unit and then we would go see O'Teal and jeff and other little projects jazz clubs things you know sideman gigs for them you know, they would just be playing standards and jazz standards and stuff like that. And it was really incredible to be able to go out and hear bands that were that creative, that forward thinking, and incredibly nice and inspiring. Because when you talk to them, they, they were real interested that you were a musician. Yeah. And they yeah. really wanted to help you grow as a musician. And whether it was Kofi, O'Teal, Jimmy... Jeff, Jan Rico, I mean, just incredible amount of uh, knowledge to be around. And uh, and then just simply getting up there to play with them, you would get uh, literally thrown in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, see, that's it, what I want. What, what was a memorable time where you, like, they knew you as a musician and they were like, hey, Todd, why don't you come up and play a few tunes? Oh, I mean, I mean, that early time where you're like, oh, my God, like, I don't want to fall on my face. Like, to me, it was just like (laughs) you've got thrown in the deep end. And that's actually that's the best experience. So that would you maybe you didn't have a steady gig while you were at the Institute, but clearly you were you were playing with cats that were better than you on the bandstand. Definitely. And those guys would come out, Jeff would come out. I used to do this great jam with a, uh, 
great musician and music lover, friend of mine, Randy Chapman in yeah. Atlanta, Georgia. And he was a big, uh, big influence on a lot of young musicians. You know, he, he was a guy that was turning the 22 year old kid onto, uh, Jimmy Smith and, you know, organ trees. Oh, I love it. Too. Yeah. Groove know, Holmes. Yeah. Like, I did. You've never heard of Kenny Burrell. He's like, what, what's wrong with you? You'll <laughs> never be a musician. Yeah. It was wonderful. <laughs> so Randy was a huge influence. He would do this, uh, Jam the Howard Sprague fusion at the Star Bar in Atlanta, oh, and Tinsley yeah. Ellis would come out, and Colonel Bruce, and yeah, Tinsley and Bruce and Jeff, Jimmy, all those guys, uh, you know, hit me, turned me on to Derek. Uh, Urban Shake Dancers, my buddy Robert Page, were really great band in Atlanta. Wow, hanging wow. with the Black Crows and stuff like that back when they were starting to become popular. So yeah, it was a uh, really amazing scene to uh be around of course you don't realize it when you're in the middle of it in 1991 uh but as as i started to get involved uh you know with uh derek and in the local atlanta musicians uh you could feel something bigger was brewing in that scene of whatever you want to call it right you know the well, no, I, well, this is the most, this is really important, like, uh, with Colonel and Jimmy, specifically, being that they were from a different generation, I, I just, was it more about, like, did you learn, I guess maybe the better question is for Brother Smallies, like, how did you learn, because this is a, this is sort of a, a nuanced concept, but it's the idea of saying, you know, Get how did you learn to get out of your own way? To me, those guys were yes. like, those guys were like, it, it, at their best, and it wouldn't happen every night. But you know, when they were an open vessel, they could channel stuff coming through them, and they could be almost a conduit. And it's very hard to do that if you have emotions or ego involved. And I just, I wonder if when you saw those elder statesmen, more than anything, they might have told you, it was just sort of their ability to be a conduit for information coming through them from the heavens. Yes, absolutely. Because you can, you can study, you know, from the book, you can have great teachers. Uh, you can even play a lot of gigs, but, uh, until you have something to kind of draw from Hmm. a main source, you know, and that was it for me. And that's why, uh, more than anything out of them, um, you know, hooking me up, connecting me with Derek, out of them being friends and mentors, actually seeing them play was the ultimate most important, Mm. you know. Mm. Um, Yeah, every night to be able to watch them really do this live, you know, how is this improv really happening? (laughs) You know, it's uh, it was amazing to watch every night. I think that was the biggest influence on me just to consistently be able to see those guys play to see Oteo play at the jazz club and then to see him play with Bruce and then to see him sit in with people uh all of that stuff like definitely soaked up you know like a sponge of course and uh and seeing them play every night seeing the way that they improvised the way they lifted each other's solos the way they Mm -hmm. you know rhythmically harmonically played off of each other 
was the biggest lesson of them all outside of Atlanta and student music because you obviously have to have the foundation, you know, to start with. You know, you can't get up there and play whatever. <laughs> so it's a but, it's amazing know, because both. like yeah, I mean your timing timing sometimes it's better to be. I mean, timing was huge, and I—I I mean, do you do you feel that? Uh, did it take you a minute once you kind of got into your own career um, to become a conduit, or was that something that you recognized from an early age? It was sort of the—I remember Terry Haggerty from the Sons of Champlin told me, you know, you have to be able to sort of. Uh, subscribe to that Socratic method of you must know what you don't know, you know? So when you get off the bandstand, someone's like, how do you play that? And you're, he's like, I have no idea, you know? And, and I, and I just, it, to me, like, that's the magic of, of spiritual music. I don't care what genre it is. And I just, I know it's the forever journey, but how quickly in your life did you realize that when you were empty, so to speak, or you were just a vessel that you could channel stuff that you couldn't even explain. Um, it's true. I, I think that, uh, your, your love for your personal love for music and, uh, wanting to learn how it, how it works, how the formulas work, how do I actually play this live? Um, yeah, I think you, you know, you think about uh, all of those things a lot. I don't think I ever, well, you know, it's, it's hard to say, I'm pretty critical here. So, I know, that's what you, uh, everybody's so damn critical, man. It's in, it's insane. <laughs> I, I, you know, you don't want to be sloppy. Myself, no, I know, man. I, every, you're not the only one. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, you obviously... Uh, you know, we all love it so much that you can't help but take it seriously. Absolutely. But it's not about taking it seriously because it is something that is from the heart. And ultimately, uh, as the great Chikoria said, this is about communication. That's you right. Know, this That's is right. about showing off, you know. And uh, that really hit me, you know, really profoundly. I remember reading that book when I was like 19 and he had this great keyboard you know, anthology book of, uh, you know, just music theory concepts, jazz concepts, whatever it was, harmonic concepts. And, uh, and he said that in there and, the, and that really hit me hard in my early twenties. I was like, yeah, this isn't about showing off, you know, this is about, uh, communicating, letting people hear where you're coming from and hearing what you're putting out there. And then you have to, be into that expression of yourself, you know. I guess those are the kind of things. I love it, dude. You're waxing poetic right now. Man. You're on fire right now. <laughs> no, this uh, is. You know, it, I mean, yeah, it's, I think go, any go great ahead. musician. Yeah. Well, I'm not a great musician, but any aspiring great musician would say that. That that ultimately is it. Is that this is about communication. Uh, it is about expression. You know, obviously from you know, the writer, from the artist, from the musician, uh, all of these things, you know, put together, I think create, you know, the real honesty of, you know, who you are and what you play when you can put those things out there of yourself, you know, uh, that is probably the hardest thing to do. And that's probably where like stage fright 
and things like that come from, you know, where people are like, oh, I don't feel comfortable, you know, showing myself, so to speak. Uh, you know, dude, I'm, I'm loving it. This is so therapeutic, going, man. So I don't mind. <laughs> no, you know what? It's, it's so beautiful. I mean, I was talking to somebody earlier this week, a great singer, and she's dealing with that right now. This, Rick Danko said it best. I mean, it's stage fright. Um, and I guess it's more to the point, like, I do see sometimes, not a lot, but, you know, where I think the idea of the Colonel Bruce, you know, methodology, and many people feel this way, is take what you do seriously. Don't take yourself yes. that seriously, right? You absolutely, know? absolutely. I learned so many incredible mantras from Bruce, and all, all in my, you know, not all in my 20s, but the ones that... You know, just hit me when I was so young, and you know, and you know, naive in that, you know, and, and it was. And Bruce was <laughs> always funny with that. You're not kidding. He would always say, "Your intention is everything." You know, why the hell are you playing music? What are you really doing love. this for? You know, and exactly. And luckily for me, it was truly a love of playing the instrument. And I don't care if I didn't play professionally again starting today there's no way that i'm going to stop playing bass or noodling with the drums and the keyboards <laughs> or playing guitar it's just not going to happen I love <laughs> you know? so yeah i i have to play you know and not because music shows me or any crazy cryptic thing like that it's it, it is love you know I, I truly do love it and uh i'm it, today you know what i mean i'll get off the phone and i'll learn five or six songs for a gig on saturday that you know i'm totally looking forward to i can't wait to yo play, okay uh, so listen this is because i got a this is i'm having such a ball but um are you did i see that you guys are playing some sort of it was like the cavalry gig up in Denver with with Eaton and, and Levy at the end of the year. Yeah, yeah. In fact, uh, funny you should say that. I uh, actually have to post the announcement today. We uh, oh, there you go. Yeah, I've I've, I've been so lucky. So uh, Rob Eaton's son, of course, Junior lives. In oh Dale, my God! Man. And yeah. I I've known him for almost all of the eleven years that I've lived here. Uh, we hit it off uh, immediately and then same with mark and mark's such a incredible musician and all of us are really good friends such we good cats man hang out. yeah oh wonderful guys so it's been incredible uh, that's a wonderful thing about being in this denver scene we've got so many great musicians you know a couple of guys from lettuce you know uh, Adam Deitch and Benny Bloom and Sheens and DJ Williams, uh, Andy Frasco in the UN, uh, Sean Eccles and I play together. Dude, a lot. this is insane. A of, yeah, a lot of incredible uh, musicians here. Yeah, my buddy, got Matt Flaherty, Scott Redner, Dave Watts, yeah, run with uh, Joey Porter and Dave and Garrett Sayers and all those guys. Incredible people. So I've been so lucky to be involved in a uh, music scene in the last 10 years that has quite literally blown up here. It does every 10 years here, it seems like, but really fortunate to uh, come home to such an incredible amount of musicians, venues, musicianship. I could, I could talk for 40 minutes about all the people in here in Atlanta and abroad. <laughs> well, no, listen, I mean, this is, the, I, you know, let's, let's put a button in this and let's, let's do a set two, maybe before the new year, if time permits, it would be great to keep, yeah. 
Oh yeah. Keep riffing sure. on this stuff. Um, and uh, I just got back from JJ tour, and we did a run this last week. Uh, I'm home for the rest of the year and most of January, so we will definitely, yeah, we can definitely make it happen this month. I got to tell you, man, mad props. To, like we're basically, uh, you're maybe a little bit. I'm 45, but I just want to say, like, mad props to you for figuring. You have the best of both worlds, man, and that used to be. You know, as as you you know, you're you're a side man, but still, that used to be yeah. like you have your solid road dates, and then you come back to a musical hotbed and can play, you know, and play with all these great cats, and that's just not the majority anymore. And and I just feel like so hang on, be treasure it all, and try to stay in the moment, man. We'll do it again. It was absolutely an honor to talk to you, man. Oh, Jake, same here. Thanks for calling me, and I'm honored and flattered to do do an interview with you, and I mean it. So, yeah, let's... Uh, let's do it again. Let's make some plans, yeah. All right, baby. Week. Yeah, man, uh, good yeah, luck. I got some time. All right, we'll do it again. Definitely. Thanks, Much love. Jake. Peace. All right, talk Peace. to you soon. Yeah. Bye. Have a good...